to I want to brag, but I have hundreds and hundreds of friends. At least that's what social media tells me. Hundreds of friends, perhaps some don't even know me that well at all. Perhaps uh, many have no clue um, that I'm here this morning or that I'm even um, a pastor. And yet, Facebook assures me I have hundreds of friends. Well, it seems like we live in a world where there's more of an appearance of friendship than true deep friendship. There's a study done in 1985 that showed the average American has three friends, defined as people they could confide in, people who they were able to share the most important things in their life with. By 2004, 19 years later, the average American had only two close friends, and one in four had no close friends at all. Men, in particular, have very few friendships, if any. We have a loneliness problem in general today. In a day where we're more connected than ever, we're more isolated than ever. This morning, I want to look at the importance of friends through the book of Proverbs. Uh, Particularly, we're going to see wisdom that discuss what friends are and what they do, and I hope this will serve to spur you on in your friendships, both as it instructs us how to be wise and better friends to others, it instructs us how to observe uh, those qualities in others, or perhaps it simply serves as a motivation for us to understand the importance of having deep friendships in our life. Deep friendships, sharing life together. And so I hope one of these goals will be achieved in and through this as we pursue the God-given gift of friendship together. And so as we march through the book of Proverbs, we'll be looking through a variety of passages. And so you'll see on the back of that insert, there's a lot of verses there. Uh, We'll be marching through those. Um, If you have your your Bibles with you, turn to uh, Proverbs 17, 17. That's where we're going to start. But then we'll be uh, moving through uh, a lot of the Proverbs together. So if you're in the book of Proverbs, you can just flip your pages. Um, Or if you just want to do the cheat sheet there on the back, uh, that'll work uh, as well. And I'll have the verses on the screen uh, so we can uh, work through this together. And so we're going to talk about a few different qualities or attributes of friends drawn from God's wisdom in the Proverbs. First, friends are there. Friends are there. As we explore Proverbs regarding friendship, there's a common theme that comes up. One that you're familiar with if you have deep friendships. One commentator draws out this mark of friendship using the word constant. And I think it's a helpful term when it comes to discussing the quality of a friend. They're constant. They're always there when we need them. They're a shoulder to cry on, someone to call and who will answer the phone, someone who's dependable. Do you have friends like this? This is beyond social media friends. You know, people from college, people from high school that you observe from afar, but you don't really know what they're like. 
You don't really know their deepest interest. You don't know what keeps them awake at night. You don't know what they're struggling with. Friends who are there know that. They're there in great times and they're there in the midst of difficulty. Friends are there in difficulty. Proverbs 17, 17, the first one we're we're looking at. A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. There's a, a constancy to it and yet there's a specific attribute in the midst of difficulty. A test of constancy, in fact, is the difficulty and the suffering that we face in this life. As we go through struggles ourselves or when our friends go through hardship, one side of the friend is unable to contribute. Instead, they desperately need the other one. In this time of need, we start to see our true friends. Perhaps this has already happened in your life. If not, you'll have many episodes where difficulty seems to weed out friends and reveals their lack of constancy. There's a biblical story of when someone had nothing to offer. And it reveals true and sincere friendship. Naomi had lost her husband and two sons and had nothing to offer her daughter-in-law, Ruth. But here's what Ruth said. In Ruth 1, 16-17, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God shall be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. Here's somebody who has nothing to offer her. Go ahead, leave. No, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to go with you no matter what. Constancy in the midst of difficulty. They're in difficulty, and just this idea of constancy and always there. We see this in, in Proverbs 18.24. A man of many companions comes to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Friends are those who uh, are, choose to be there, who are there in the midst of good and bad. We see the close-knit friendship illustrated with the friendship of David and Jonathan in Scripture. Jonathan with David in the midst of difficulty, even risking his own life, his own reputation, his own crown for his friendship with David. Jonathan was there to encourage his friend when it was needed in 1 Samuel twenty-three sixteen. David and Jonathan are a terrific, and I encourage you to read it in the, in the book of First Samuel, a terrific example of, of deep friendship. And it's also an example of how difficult friendship is in our day and age. Because often when people read David and Jonathan today, they use it as an example to kind of prove or argue for gay marriage, 
same-sex relationships, because David professes his deep love for Jonathan. This is, a, this is a hindrance today, right? Friendship, deep friendship is a gift from God. And often, the, because of our culture, we're, we're afraid to enter into deep relationships with people of the same gender because of how it might appear. We're actually letting culture dictate and rob us of the good gift of friendship. A gift that's necessary. So we take an example of David and Jonathan, a deep biblical friendship that we have, and people interpret it through their, 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 their glasses and, and their, their cultural lens in order to justify certain things. Because they don't have a category for deep friendship. Now, David and Jonathan are, are an example of a deep friendship that was designed for our good. <clears throat> we have to be careful of letting culture dictate terms and rob us from the goodness of deep friendships. This kind of goodness is illustrated in the Lord of the Rings. When Sam and the other uh, hobbits um, tell, we're going to make this journey collectively, here's what they say. You can trust us to stick to you through thick and thin, to the bitter end. And you can trust us to keep any any secret of yours closer than you yourself keep it. Listen to this. But you cannot trust us to let you face trouble alone or go off without a word. We are your friends, Frodo. Anyway, there it is. You know, most of all, Gandalf has told you, you know a good deal about the ring. Here here it is. We are horribly afraid, but we are coming with you or following you like hounds. (laughs) We're going to stick close to you. We know how scary this journey is. We know how difficult it is. But we're going to come after you, and if you don't like it, we're going to follow you like hounds. Like, what a great illustration of, of biblical friendship. Uh, of friends who are there, who are friends who are constant. Friends who are loving, even when it's difficult, even when it's hard. And maybe you're, you're thinking, well, that's, that's great And it's great to have people in our life who care for us, who are there. But honestly, sometimes I just can't be with my friends. Sometimes uh, it's just a little bit much. And and the Proverbs addresses this. Friends know their limits. Uh, Wisdom often involves holding things in tension. Holding good things in tension. And and, and here's uh, Proverbs uh, 25, 17. Let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill with you and hate you. <laughs> uh, Ray, Ray Ortland writes this in his commentary. He says, in heaven there will be a gazillion people. Every one of them will, will like you, and they'll never get tired of you. But until we're there, we're all weak enough, and it is wise to ask ourselves when enough is enough. Ben Franklin said it this way, guests, like fish, stink after three days. So friends are there. They're there when we need them, and yet they know their limits. 
There's also another theme throughout Proverbs is there's this contrast between faithful friends and fair-weather friends. Faithful friends and fair-weather friends. Proverbs 19, verse 4. Wealth brings many new friends, but a poor man is deserted by his friend. Proverbs 19, 6 and 7. Many seek the favor of a generous man, and everyone is a friend to a man who gives gifts. All a poor man's brothers hate him. How much more do his friends go far from him? He pursues them with words, but does not have them. So fair weather friends are there so long as it benefits them. They're there for what they can get. Biblical friendship is a contrast to this. It's characterized by faithfulness. Biblical friends are there for the person, not what they can get from the person. While the same word friend is used for both, there's a categorical difference between the two. One seeks to use, and the other seeks to love. Faithful friends are there. Fair weather friends are there for what they can get. It's like kids who are friends, and I'm, I'm friends with you because I get to swim in your pool. But you move to a different house, I'm not going to hang out with you anymore because your new house doesn't have a pool. That's silly and foolish. But if we're not careful, we can have that same kind of attitude as adults. How can you benefit me? What can you give me? Instead of seeing our friends as an opportunity to love, as those who have been loved, now we're able to love others well. So we should be on guard against fair-weather friends. We should also be careful ourselves of having that creep into our own hearts, of seeing the value in people around us by what they can provide with us, how they can benefit us. And often, in very superficial ways, we should look for friends who are going to benefit us spiritually, um, but we should be careful of uh, seeing superficial benefits there. Second, friends encourage. Friends encourage. Proverbs 22, 11, He who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious will have the king as his friend. Who loves purity of heart and whose speech is gracious will have the king as his friend. Oil and perfume make the heart glad. And listen to this. And the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Friends use words to build each other up. In a world that clamors for attention and is filled with people who use others to prop themselves up, we need people genuinely speaking encouragement into our lives. We need others to notice what we might not notice ourselves. And the environment that we live in is, is much more geared to have rivals instead of friends. Rivals don't encourage because they're too busy comparing themselves with the other person. A rival is controlled by envy and is content to tear the other person down if it means they look better. But a friend seeks the best for the other person. They get joy out of their friend's success. They want their friend to excel in their unique skills, abilities, and God-given opportunities. 
Those who are prone to create rivals often are not grounded in the love of God themselves. But those who are secure in God's love for them are able to freely love others in their life. They don't need to compete for love. They don't need to manufacture love. They love because they've been loved. They're secure. In the New Testament, we're told that this is one of the aims of the church, to build one another up in love and good works. In order for that to take place, the writer of Hebrews says that we shouldn't neglect the meeting together and that we should, we should encourage each other. It says, do not neglect meeting together, but encourage each other. And do we get that? By meeting together, there's an understanding that encouragement is taking place. Sometimes this happens organically, simply by witnessing others who love God and, and serve Him. Other times it's intentional. Friends are particularly able to press into specific and intentional encouragement. So we might ask the question, who are you intentionally encouraging each week? What are things that you are noticing in someone else's life? How have you seen Jesus in the life of someone here at First Baptist? And have you told them? If not, why? What if we're committed to intentionally encouraging one person every week we come? That's hard to do if we're not grounded in God's love. I can't tell somebody else they're doing well. I can't tell somebody else that they're, they're doing good because that might make me look bad. Then, then they're, they're, they're good. Maybe it'll go to their head. I don't think people in general are suffering from too much encouragement. There's a big difference between flattery and encouragement. Flattery, we are trying to get something in return. We're trying to butter somebody up so that we might benefit in some way. Encouragement is simply genuinely noticing something and pointing it out. Not because we want anything in return. Not because we're looking for a compliment. But simply because we're celebrating what God's doing in somebody's life. Don't rob God of his glory in what he's doing in the life of people in this, this church. Celebrate it. Celebrate it in one way that we can celebrate it is simply by encouraging people in what we see. Hey, I saw you with your, your, your kids and what you did over there. Praise the Lord. That was such an encouragement to me to see how you handled that over there. I noticed you worshiping and, and it just encouraged me this morning. Well, what about this? Pastor said to flip to a passage of the Bible and you flipped right there. You must know your Bible well. It seems like something simple, right? It's just an encouragement. So many different ways that we can encourage people. Are we looking for opportunities? Are we encouraging others? Well, the opposite of encouragement, if, if encouragement is using words to build each other up, 
doing so uh, selflessly, wanting them to benefit. Gossip is using words to tear others down so that we might benefit. Gossip tears down friendship. Using words well is beneficial, but using words poorly or breaking confidence with our speech is harmful. Listen to this. A dishonest man spreads strife and a whisperer separates close friends. Whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. You could add a, a couple more. Proverbs 20, verse 19. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets. Therefore, do not associate, associate with such a babbler. The Proverbs instruct us to avoid gossip. Gossip spreads and destroys everything in its path. There's a warning for, for those who, entrust, who we entrust with our cares and with our worries. It's also an exhortation for us to be people who are trustworthy. Gossips gain audience through sharing what they shouldn't share. But those who are trustworthy cover the shame of their friends. How do you treat your friends in this area? Blaise Pascal uh, in the 17th century, a scientist, philosopher, he said this, I set it down as a fact that if all men knew what each said of the other, there would not be four friends in the world. If all men knew what each said of the other, there would not be four friends in the world. How do we use our words? How do we safeguard the confidence that's been entrusted to us? Again, gossip tears down friendship. And it's not only the friends themselves, but gossip in general can harm friendships. So not only can a person harm their friendship themselves by what they say, but others can separate friends by what they say. There are some who sow division between people by what they say. Instead of quieting gossip, they fan the flame and pass it on. Again, Proverbs seventeen nineteen: whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. While speaking when we shouldn't can harm friendships, holding our tongue and covering offenses is a way that we love others. This is true personally, it's true of a third party. Personally, we can overlook offenses. We see this in uh, 1 Corinthians 6 7. It's better to suffer wrong or be defrauded in some cases. Ortland writes this if we are willing to lose the argument, we might win the friend. This is key to avoiding unnecessary conflict in friendships. There are times when we're offended, when something is said that shouldn't have been said, or something is done that shouldn't have been done. In those moments, wisdom may dictate that we hold our tongue. There's a line here. We also want to make sure that we speak up when necessary, and we'll, we'll talk about that in a second. But for now, there, there are a few things to keep in mind when we shouldn't speak up. One, when we haven't prayed about it. Seems simple, but pray. 
Two, when it's out of character for the individual. When it's out of character for the individual. There are times that things are said to us or, or maybe done by a friend, and I, I know that person. That, there must be something else going on. That's, that's out of character. That's not like them. Right? Does it align with their character? If it's out of character, it might be good not to, to mention something at, at that moment. When it may be a result of a particular struggle or moment that they're going through, are we aware of it? Are we sensitive to what's going on? It doesn't mean that we can't speak up, but it's being aware of what's going on. So friends encourage. They use their words to build each other up. But gossip tears down friendships. Third, friends counsel and challenge. Friends counsel and challenge. First, friends guide into wisdom. I'm talking about the importance of wisdom throughout this series, of, of getting wisdom, of, of growing in wisdom. And friends serve as a guide to that. Proverbs 12, verse 26. One who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked leads him astray. The one who is righteous is a guide to his neighbor, but the way of the wicked lead him astray. Proverbs thirteen twenty. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools suffer harm. Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Again, we've read this one before, but think about it specifically in context of guiding into wisdom. The Proverbs give us these, the way things are designed to operate. The creational norms of how God has created things. Each of us become like those we hang around with, whether we like it or not. How many parents in this room have caught themselves saying the same things to their kids that were said to them. Perhaps even things that they vowed they would never say. Oh, my mom does this, or my dad does this. I'm not going to say that when I'm a parent. And then we never find ourselves like naturally just kind of belching out those words. Right? And, and they just come, or maybe it's different mannerisms or different things that we, we just kind of pick up on. We're like, even things that we're like, oh, no, I, 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 maybe I don't want to do it like that. Or, and then it just, it just happens. We just can't help it. Those we're around, we start, to, we start to imitate. It becomes like a reflex without even thinking. And so we're, who are we hanging around? Many things in life are not only taught, but they're caught. And growing in wisdom is one of those things. If we surround ourselves with people who are wise, we catch on to how wisdom works. What to say and when to say it. How to behave in a particular situation. Jesus instructed many people, but he spent time with a few. Those few were with him watching and witnessing wisdom come to life. It shows why it's important for us to have our closest friends, those who are Christians as well. Those who are pursuing the same direction in life that we are. Those who have the same foundation for wisdom. 
It doesn't mean that we uh, can't have other friends or be influencing and, and coming alongside others. But I think our closest friends should be those friends that believe the same thing that we do, who are guiding us in wisdom. In fact, this is what we see in 1 Corinthians 15, 33. It says this, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. And in the context, it's speaking of those who, the, the bad company are those who do not hold to the resurrection. Those who do not believe in the resurrection, that's bad company that ruins good morals. In this context, in the Proverbs, we see walking with the wise and not with the fools. And the wise are those who fear the Lord. Who are our closest friends? Who are those that have our ear? Who are those that we're watching, that we're imitating? Well, not only do friends counsel, but friends also challenge when necessary. They challenge when necessary. Uh, I, re- I read a book on, uh, this past, uh, while we were on vacation a couple weeks ago. Uh, it wasn't from a Christian author, but it was from somebody who's a, a moral uh, psychologist and trying to understand uh, how we reason the way that we reason and how we make decisions. And of course, uh, there's there's limitations from not coming from a, a Christian worldview. But it was interesting in how he discussed uh, how we uh, come to conclusions. He said, we, we, we lead with our intuition, things that we think are true, that sound right, and it just appeal to us in the moment. And then we use our rationality, our reasoning, to back up what we already think is true. He said, it's almost like, like we're, we're a, a ride, like our intellect or rationality is a rider on an elephant, and the elephant's heading one direction, and the rider's just along for the ride, making up the reasons for why we're going in certain directions. And he said, because of this, it's very hard to influence people out of their particular tribe or out of their particular beliefs, because they already have their mind made up. We, we know this, right? And so, yes, there's, there's shortcomings to, uh, to the thesis, but we, we also have seen this illustrated. People doing their own research, which really means Googling to back up my own thoughts. I already came to my conclusion. Now I'm just going to Google a few articles and support what I already think. I'm actually in search of truth and in search of truth for what I think. But he said, what actually can influence people and impact them truly and cause them to think is when they have deep friendships and relationships with other people. Because then if they're, they're riding this elephant that's leaning one way, but it's also trying to lean towards their friend. So it's like conflicted. And they're actually already, their intuition already has the ear of their friend. Because they trust their friend. And so even if it's rebelling against and saying, no, I think it's this, they still have an ear. And they're actually have, able to have a true conversation with somebody about something different. And while I believe there's shortcomings in how he presents it, I think there's a lot of wisdom that aligns with what we see in Scripture. 
aligns with what God has designed us for relationships. We're not simply thinking things, but we're embodied people made for relationship. And as we seek to influence others, as we seek to, to come alongside them, this is going to be very impactful. Kind of goes back to what um, Pastor Nate touched on before that, you know, rules without relationship is rebellion. Or the whole idea of people don't uh, care about how much you know until they know how much you care. Simple kind of truisms that we just kind of have heard before and it's almost cliche, and yet there's so much truth to it. There's so much truth to it. Because people and relationships do impact us and cause us to think about things that we might not otherwise think about. I don't want to believe that, but I know this person cares for me. I know this person knows what's best for me. That's why in the culture that we live, in a culture that's progressively like going against the grain and going against like even, even the biblical worldview, to know that there's, there's people uh, like even those that disagree with us on so many different things, to know, yeah, but, but I know John loves me. He disagrees with me, and everybody's telling me that means because he, he hates or he's a bigot, but I know he loves me. So, so I don't get it. They're telling me my tribe is the, is the loving one, it's the good one, and yet and I know he loves that's impactful. Proverbs twenty seven seventeen, Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. That's how God's designed things. To sharpen one another. To challenge one another. Even taking a step further, Proverbs 27, 5 to 6, Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. It is necessary at times to challenge each other. So not only can friendship be an opportunity to impact and influence others, it should be an opportunity to speak truth into each other's life, even when it's difficult. When is it necessary? Well, we have to consider the things we mentioned before. Have we prayed about it? Have we considered the circumstance? Is it pattern of behavior? We could also say, have we considered our own heart? Some things are not really issues, but more things that we desire selfishly. I don't want a friend who does X. My friends all know why, and so you should know why. Whatever the case might be, some things aren't really biblically motivated, but selfishly motivated. So we have to test our own heart there. We have to make sure it's for their good and not for our appearance. We also might ask whether it's clear or simply our interpretation of what's going on. The need to come alongside someone will be compounded with the greater clarity we have and the more more serious the offense. So how certain are we of a friend's error or what they're going through or their need to be rebuked? How certain are we and how serious is it? As those go up, so does the need to come alongside. 
But even when this is the case, we should come alongside them in a gentle way. Saying, hey, this is, this is what I observe. This are some things that I notice. Here's, here's my interpretation of what's going on in your life. Could you clarify it for me? Could you help me understand? So coming alongside gently, and as friends, come alongside gently, because friends are not fans. We're, we're willing to confront. We're willing to challenge. To provoke towards godliness. But we should do so gently in the right time. Leads to the final idea. Friends are careful. Friends are careful. Abukes need to come at the right time. Proverbs uh, 25, 20. Whoever sings a song to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. Somebody just loses a loved one that they care deeply about. You don't come up to them and say, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. Like, no! <laughs> like, you might receive a punch in the face, not a clap. Like, like, you don't do that in that moment. You should know better. Do you understand that there's a certain time and place for things? I love this. This is, <laughs> this is my favorite proverb. Proverbs twenty-seven, fourteen: Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. Just go into like, think about it, like a, your teenage son. You just go, good morning! Mom, get out of here! Like, no! That's not received like pleasantry. That's like, stop, I'm trying to sleep. What are you doing? Like, you said good, this is bad. Just let me sleep. There's a time and a place to speak truth. There's a time and a place for everything. And wise friends, those who are coming alongside, know when to speak into their friend's life. Because they know their friend. They know how to communicate with them in a way that will be heard. It's easy to rebuke in a, in a wrong way and kind of check that off and say, yeah, I did, I did the hard thing. But to actually care enough about our friend to do it in a way that we know they'll receive it, a way that is probably more difficult, probably takes more time. That's important. And this is going to vary. There's not a if this, then this type of formula. This is wisdom. It's knowing the individual. It's knowing when to apply truth in a particular situation. It's being sensitive to where our friends are emotionally, spiritually, what they're going through. It's being intentional with our words and with our actions. Our friends are careful. <clears throat> Speaking of, of careful and challenging when necessary, my, my wife and knows I'm preaching today. It's our anniversary. It's our 12-year anniversary. It's also a uh, 4th of July weekend, and so she came alongside me gently and said, Nick, I know you're preaching this morning. It's our anniversary. It's a holiday weekend. Don't go forever long. <laughs> Keep it short. I'll walk out. I'll give you the signal if I have to, um, but uh, <laughs> keep it short for us. And with that in mind, I will kind of conclude <laughs> uh, this morning.
Uh, if, if, there, if we're honest, there's times where we're not careful. There are times where we do not live up as a friend who is wise, as a friend who cares like we should. Often we turn others into rivals instead of loving them because we're not operating out of security ourselves. And maybe that's you this morning. You think that it's impossible to truly care for someone else because you've never experienced deep love yourself. If that is you, I want to point you to the one who even the best and most sincere friendship is but a shadow. The best part of relationships on this earth point to one who is greater. One who loves deeply, even though we have nothing to offer him. Think about it. What can we offer the one who made us and takes care of us? The one who authored our life story. Like, what do we have to give him? Our very life belongs to him. The only thing that is ours, that we own, is our sin. Do we get that? The only thing that is truly ours is our rebellion against him. We're going to offer that to him in friendship? No, he takes it from us and pays the penalty to secure our friendship. (laughs) That's our Lord. Listen to this. Adam referenced it earlier. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. That's our Lord. If you're here this morning, you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. He's made you a friend. He's taken everything that separated you from him, and he took that on himself, and he paid the penalty so that you might be his friend. Not just in this life, but forever. That you might enjoy his companionship forever. Like right now, your friend is pleading your case before the Father. Right now, he's eager to hear your requests. And he will never leave you or forsake you. Listen, your friends will leave you and forsake you. We'll be disappointed. We'll disappoint others. But he will not never leave us or forsake us. He will never disappoint us. That's amazing. If you've never trusted him, if you've never turned to him, I plead with you, come to Christ. He stands eager to forgive. Talk to me, talk to somebody, maybe somebody brought you here this morning, talk to them about how you can know Jesus Christ is your Savior, the forever friend. It's an amazing truth. Let's pray together. Dear Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the fact that you did send Christ out of your love to provide a way for us to be friends with you. Father, you love us so much that you sent your Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. We praise you for that. Help us go this week resting in the friendship that we have in Jesus and help us to love others the way that we've been loved for your glory and for their good. For this in Jesus' name, amen.